of ministry. We pray you'd give them great wisdom in allocating our budget, Lord. We pray for your favor in every area. Lord, thank you that you have put just these people at just this time, and we want to bless them. We ask for grace over their homes and their families, um, all the time away, and the things that they're doing to bless us and take care of us. I pray that they would be blessed a hundredfold for all the ways that they bless us. Thank you for the secret things that only you know, the sacrifices. And Lord, we just come together as a community. We bless them. We thank you for their leadership, and we ask that um, you would just knock our socks off this year, Lord, with with signs of your grace, signs of your goodness, things we're not expecting, lavish surprises that come from your throne. We entrust our community to you, the money, the time, all of it, and we praise you and worship you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Um, and I want to, one more announcement just to prepare you for the offering. Um, one thing about the offering, I'm, we're delaying it today. I, uh, somebody said, well, if you're going to preach about giving, could we have the offering at the end so that um, we could have a little bit of training and instruction before we actually uh, do the offering? So I thought, well, yeah, we could do that. So we're going to do that today. But one Often we have a special offering, not every Sunday, but often we have something special. So in addition to the regular giving, which goes to all the stuff that's in the budget, then we don't budget for these offerings, but the offerings are additional. So we, we give to our missionaries every month. Um, about 10% of everything that comes in goes to the, the missions work and intercultural ministry. Um, but this Sunday, we want to give an extra gift for Christmas. Now, it's going to take us a little time to get it there, so we wanted to get there by Christmas, so we want to take it now. So this insert um, shows you who our regularly supported every month missionaries are, people who are doing intercultural ministry. Um, we have um, others who we support on, uh, you know, one-time one things, that kind of thing, but these are the ones that every month we are wanting you to pray for and would love you to put that in your... Uh, Put it on your fridge or uh, put it in your, in your Bible if you open your Bible on a regular basis or put it in whatever you open on a regular basis, put it in your... In your <laughs> um, so, um, and then on the back is a contact information and brief, brief, brief information about, about what they do. I want to uh, head right into our sermon today since I said we we're going to do our, our uh, offering at the end. As part of our response, we've been doing our series. Now let's pray. Let's pray before we head into the Word. Lord, we, we need to hear from you. We hear from everybody else, especially about money. We have lots of uh, people motivating us in various directions about what to do with our money, and we need to hear from you. So we just ask you to break through all of the noise and the confusion and the anxiety and the uh, messages we've heard our, our whole lives. And we want to hear your perspective on money, on food, on sharing, on what you have for us. And I pray that you would guide us clearly. And I pray that you'd give individual clear guidance to each one here on what they can do as a next step 
to have greater joy, gratitude, hope, investment, and thanksgiving. Um, I pray that you would do that for each of us today. Praise in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, so we are talking about just sex, money, and power. Um, this is my last shot at uh, money, and then next week Sam Snyder is going to be here. Um, I would have had him this week. That was the original plan, but he's just coming back from Mexico. Uh, he's a pastor of our cross-cultural community church, and uh, he does a lot of stuff about, about financial planning and a lot of the practical things. I've been kind of leaving that to him. Be, uh, mostly I haven't delved into that. I'll maybe touch it today, but um, so we're talking about money. This is next time will be our last time. And I wanted us to think about um, Thanksgiving's coming right up. So Thanksgiving was a time where the pilgrims, uh, well, okay, so there's a lot of Thanksgivings that happen. There's Thanksgiving in Jamestown even before it happened with the pilgrims. But the, the pilgrims uh, are the most famous one of a, of a first Thanksgiving in America. And as you know, they had had a hard time. A hundred arrived trying to find especially religious freedom. Half of them had died over the winter. Um, they got a local person named Squanto who, whose whole tribe had died from plague, from diseases probably brought by Europeans, but uh, he was willing to show them how to fish, how to plant corn, how to do things in that local. He gave them so much knowledge about what happened, and they actually survived, and they had this great feast, and they invited 90 Native Americans, and there were 50 of the pilgrims who were left, and they served a big feast for everybody three days to thank God. The whole point was a religious... Now, where did they get that from? Where did they get the idea that they should have a feast and eat a bunch together with everybody so that they could thank God? Where do you think they got that from? From the Bible, right? Because the Bible's full of that stuff. God, remember, God gave us all this food and, and said, hey, here, eat everything, eat freely. And then we remember, we notice hospitality happening as early as like Abraham welcoming. Well, actually, we see Abel and Cain offering their sacrifices to God. We see Abram welcoming strangers who turn out to be angels, who turn out to be the Lord himself there. And, and because they welcomed this stranger who was walking by to have a meal with them, they were all this blessing. And there's all this about food going through the... Uh, the whole text, and then we get into the freedom from slavery and freedom to come into a new land, and God gives very clear laws about how they're supposed to govern that land with justice so that they share it equitably, so that the means of producing the food is shared between them. And then there's all these things about how to share, like gleaning on the... So think about this. The, you guys know what the gleaning law was? So you're... you're you're sowing, you're working hard as a farmer, and when you get to harvest, you're supposed to not harvest at all. You're supposed to leave a margin around the edges, and you're not supposed to go back a second time and pick up the corn that fell. You're supposed to leave all that so that the poor can come and do a little bit of work and collect what you worked hard to grow. And we see sometimes how that worked. Ruth, who was a stranger, she was, I don't know, she was from an enemy group. And she was a foreigner. She was a widow. She was, um, had nothing. She came and she gleaned because he had left this. And in fact, the owner of the field said, take some things out of the harvest and drop them there so she can have more. And, uh, and the whole thing worked so that she actually was reincorporated into the family. 
and was able to um, be married into the Israelites, the system worked sometimes. But a lot of times people ignored it. But there was, there was also tithes. And one of the tithes was just, so one was to go to Levites, so that's 10% goes to the Levites and priests to do all that they did, spiritual as well as other things. 10% went specifically to have feasts and invite everybody, and especially the poor, the widow, the orphan. And then every third year there was one for the poor, the widow, the orphan, the stranger, um, the orf, the, so that they could eat together. So the whole idea was to eat and share food together, share the means of food, share the harvest together, share meals together. And so that thing of sharing food was very important. Now, it wasn't so monetized at that point. It was mostly about sharing food. It was an agricultural society. And so when they stored their tithe, it was actually corn. It was actually um, things that they were uh, storing, grains. So later we see things moving into more money. Um, but this whole concept of sharing food is, is very important. If you look at Luke and Acts, when we get that far, um, but I mean, of course, the prophets hit it as well. They say, you know, what, what does it mean to really worship? It means to share your food with the hungry and have the homeless person come into your house. Um, but let's jump up to Jesus. Luke and Acts. Luke makes a big deal about sharing food and sitting at table. Jesus gets criticized for eating with those people, those tax collectors and sinners. And then Peter does the really bad thing, and he goes and eats with Gentiles. And when he comes back, his whole church is like, what were you doing? You were eating with them? You were sleeping with them? Don't you know that? And, and you see, part of this was that that was those people, and they hadn't used their money well or their food well. It wasn't really sanctified, and you were eating with those people. So that whole thing of sharing, sharing food um, was very important. And I think you remember in Acts 2 and 4, it talks about how they ate bread together daily. They had communion, but they also broke bread together. They, they ate together on a regular basis, like a daily basis. In fact, Jesus said something about praying about our daily bread, right? Back to manna, when they got manna in, in Exodus, right? That daily we would pray for our daily bread. I have a question for you. How come there are people who are hungry? Is God failing to give us our daily bread? Hang on to that thought. Um, because it's a it's one that's bothered me a lot. Um, so when they gave this, then so the early church did things in a different way. I want you to notice this is called contextualization in uh, fancy missiology terms in my my branch of mission studies. Contextualization means you take something, a truth from God, and you you apply it in a different context, in a different place. So in this different place, they didn't do things exactly like they did in the Old Testament law. They, first of all, the Romans were in charge, and everything had changed politically and economically, but they did make sure that the widows and the orphans and the poor were taken care of. And Luke says that original promise in Deuteronomy was fulfilled. There were no poor among them. Because, he says, when there was a need for the widows to eat. If they didn't have enough from what they gathered, somebody would actually sell a field or a house or some capital to make sure that everybody had enough to eat. Now, we look at that and we say, ooh, that 
I don't know about that. That's not a good idea. Selling your house to uh, selling your field to the, you could t- Barnabas was one of the examples they gave of somebody who sold his field so he could provide for other people. Ananias and Sapphira were others who sold their field, but they pretended that they were bringing all the money. And what happened? They got struck dead because the point, they were trying to do it for the sake of the name and the honor, and they were lying about it. Even though they sold it, gave a big chunk of it, that was not the point, to be seen as a big donor. The point was to care for people and not to lie, he said, to the Holy Spirit. So um, honesty in finances was very important in the church um, back then, and the Holy Spirit was reinforcing it. I want you to see how this, um, this happened, and then, and then they, it has, says in Acts 2 that happened, in Acts 4 that happened, and then um, something else happened. I want, I want you to see this in Acts 11. So people have sometimes, trying to protect their way of doing things, said, well, that didn't work out because later on there was famine and they had, they had problems in Jerusalem. But I think something else was going on. So Acts 11 says, For a whole year Paul and Barnabas met with the church. And this is in Antioch. Remember, there was a persecution, and they were locked out of a lot of things. That's really why they were poor. They, they weren't able to work at things. They were ostracized. They were, ran away. Some of them ran to Antioch, and they started talking to Gentiles, those people not just to fellow Jews. And Barnabas went and got Saul to help teach, and they met with the church there and cut, taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. Now, I want to ask you, if somebody prophesied that, what would you do? I'd start saving money, right? Or saving food. I'd start stockpiling. And I, I mean, really, if you save some grain, if you knew that there was going to be a shortage and you save some grain, then you'd be able to sell that for triple the price and you would, could really do well, right? Wouldn't that be the thing to do? You'd think so, economically, but... So this happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. Wait a second. The entire Roman world is going to have a famine. And what do they do? They give away what they've got. Does that make any sense at all? Why would they do something like that? I think they did it because the believers in Jerusalem had set an example for them that when there's going to be shortage, we have to share. It's time for us to give when there's... What's shocking about this, though, is it's through the entire Roman world, and yet they were more concerned for the people in Jerusalem and Judea than they were for their own security. Is that, is that good financial sense or not? The thing is, what the Jerusalem church had done in selling some land and doing other things and making sure people were cared for had set an example that came back to them by the churches that were planted 
keeping that example. Some of those who ran away to, to start this church in Antioch had kept that example. And so Paul and Barnabas were pulled into that. Now Barnabas, remember, he was the one who sold his field to provide for the widows. So he was a key person who was like, let's get some care for those who are going to be poor in Jerusalem. Are you following me? I think so, but some people are looking kind of skeptical. Um, I don't blame you. Um, it's not what I do either. But it's what they did. Then later, out of Antioch, God calls Paul and Barnabas, tells them to send Paul and Barnabas out to other places to evangelize and to plant churches. They plant these churches all over through Turkey and through what's now Greece. And the Thessalonians, they get saved and they go through a severe trial. And Paul said, writes to them and says, you know what? Your example of joy in the middle of your severe trial has been shown to be an example to the Macedonians. You follow the example of Jesus and ourselves in having joy in the middle of trial. And even the other people in Macedonia, which is northern Greece, are paying attention to what you're doing, having joy in the middle of your trial. And then another famine is coming up. And Paul, on his third missionary journey, going back to some of these churches, he takes up a collection again for the believers and the churches back in Jerusalem. And in the end of 1 Corinthians, he writes to the Corinthians, Corinth is in uh, the lower part of Greece, um, and he writes and asks them to take up a collection for the churches there. Um, and he asks them to, to prepare it on the... Uh, um, he, he says, get it ready, plan for it, and on the first day of the week, so they were already meeting on Sunday, bring what you've planned so that you can give. Now, I, I want you to notice that this is an extra gift, okay? They were already bringing their regular tithes, their regular offerings, their regular stuff to share with each other, their regular food that they shared with each other. But this is extra for those, actually those people. Those people out, not our people, but those people who live in Jerusalem. Um, but they're fellow Christians. Even if they're different culturally and, and in language, they're fellow Christians. And he tells them to get that ready, to plan for it. Um, 1 Corinthians 16 says this, verse 1. Now about the collection for God's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money. So they're, now they're, they're sharing food is turned into money because it's easier to carry money, right? In keeping with his income. So in, along with his income. Saving it up so that when I come, no collection will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I will give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they will accompany me. Um, so he explains this in 1 Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians, sometime later, he sends somebody else to follow up on this and make a collection. Um, and, and finish off and collect that money so that they can go with it to Jerusalem. So now I want you to get your Bible out from in front of you. 2 Corinthians 8 is where we're headed. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9. And there's some really powerful stuff in here that just doesn't make sense from the way that the world thinks about money. But Paul... 
in keeping with what Jesus said, is showing us a, a radically different way, a way to have joy when it comes to money and not anxiety, a way to be grateful, a way to trust instead of have fear. And he's, he's going to show a radical way to do it. And, um, and he puts, he gives them a lot of motivation to uh, do this offering. Now, I want you to keep in mind, again, that this is an extra offering. Okay, so this is not their regular tithes, their regular offerings, their regular sharing with each other, sharing with their own widows within the church. This is an international contribution for um, people who are in trouble back in Jerusalem. This is now the second time they've done this. Okay, you're there? 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1. Now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Now, I want you to notice that word, grace. Charis is the word in a word which we get some other words from, like somebody who has charismata would be gifts. So that's where we get the word charismatics, because they believe in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. So people who have gifts, charis is grace. These are grace gifts that God gives, like teaching and preaching and giving. Um, And the prophecy, etc. It's also the word used in eucharisteo, which is to give thanks. So you're giving grace to someone who, who gave thanks. I want you to pay attention to that word because Paul keeps using this word grace. Now, when we think about grace, we usually think about Jesus died for my sins and, and I get forgiven. But grace has a whole lot more to it. And in this passage, you're going to pay attention to that word. So he says, I want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. So what kind of grace did he give them? Did he forgive them of their sins? Yeah. But what, what specifically is he talking about? Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. What? Overflowing joy and extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. That's a kind of a surprising thing, isn't it? But God gave that grace that even though they were extremely poor, they could give. And you know what? When you give, you are there's a freedom that comes from that. That, you know what? I'm not under my circumstances, under that I don't have money, under that I can't eat, because I am able to decide to give. And give grace, graciously, because I've been given. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able, and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. So Paul might have been a little shy about asking them, but they were like, no, no, please, let us be part of this. He might have been not sure if they had any extra money, but they said, no, no, we want to be in on this. We want to be in on what God's doing and what the churches are doing. And they did not do as we expected. So he didn't expect that, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and that's what we talked about, offering ourselves to the Lord first, because first of all, it's always to God first, and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. What act of grace? The act of giving to this contribution. 
But just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. So this grace is a, a charismata. You know, the, the Corinthians were faced for the faithful, um, famous for their charismatic gifts. And he's saying, yeah, you got all those charismatic gifts. You talked about them in Corinthians. But then he says, but make sure that you don't forget this charismatic gift of giving. He says, I'm not commanding you. This isn't a tithe. This isn't a requirement. But I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. Is it okay to compare with the earnestness of others? That comparison can be bad, but comparison can also be good if it motivates us to do the right thing. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was poor, he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. So you see, it starts with the grace of the Lord Jesus. Jesus was rich beyond any kind of rich. And he became poor, born in the stable, people trying to pay their taxes, refugee in Africa. He was really poor. Why? So that we could become rich. So Jesus went from rich to poor to make us rich. That was the grace that he gave. And here's my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what he does not have. So he says the, the gift is important if the willingness is there. It doesn't matter if you have $1, $10 or $10,000. If you are giving willingly what you have, that's what matters. Now, don't mistake that for I'm willing to give $10,000, but I'm not giving it. That's not willing. I'm willing to give a dollar, but next week. That's not willing. You know, when you, when you say your kids clean up your toilet, if they say, well, I'm willing to clean up my room, doesn't really go. But what he's saying is the fact that you're willing, that you're desiring, that you're giving, that's what matters, no matter how much you have to give. In fact, Jesus said the opposite, right? The, the widow who put in two mites gave more than the people who put in the big bags of money. Why? Because he judged it by what she had left. She gave everything. She had nothing left. She gave the most. Um, but he says it's according. So don't worry about exactly how much you have to give, but give what you have according to your means. And then he says our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. Then there will be equality, as it is written, he who gathered much did not have too much, and he who gathered little did not have too little. So this, that is a quote from back when they were gathering manna. And it's saying that, you know, some of the weak and poor couldn't gather that much manna, and some of the strong were able to gather a lot of manna, but they shared with each other, and so nobody went hungry. And he's saying, some gathered little, some gathered much, but everybody was full. And 
this is really an important thing here because he's saying the way to make sure you're going to have enough later is to give it now. Now, that's totally opposite of the way we do things. The way to have enough later is to keep it so they have it later. Right? Now, Africans have taught me a lot about this because they're pretty good, at least in Tanzania, about sharing and eating. And somebody comes to your house, of course, they're going to eat. Because then, if you go to their house, of course, you're going to eat. And uh, I may have the, the money, right? I, you know, I might have had a good harvest this year, but I'm going to make sure I eat on my porch and everybody can eat with me. And I'm going to eat out there. It's kind of insurance policy. You know, eat out there so that everybody can see what I'm eating so that next year, if my harvest isn't so good, I can come to your porch and eat on your porch. It's, it's good Tanzanian insurance policy that uh, we all are a family. We eat together and we, we share. And if I have more, if my field did better this year, then I share with... Now, there can be downsides to this as well. But um, really, it's, it's the way that, at least in the village in Tanzania, people take care of it. I have more. Of course, it's easier when it's not monetized. See, because mon money is really easy to hide. You can kind of stick it in your pocket, stick it in your drawer, stick it in a Swiss bank account. Nobody really knows. Um, and uh, then you have people like Mobutu who don't share quite evenly with all of their fellow. They could stick it away in a bank account in Switzerland. When it's food in the village, it's harder to hide. So that's what he's saying is that, and then you see sometimes I have something you need right now, and then you have something I need. So like right now, you need my ox to pull a, the plow for you, but you're the one who has the plow. So then I can use your plow to, with my ox to uh, harvest what we need to do. And so that's, that's the way it works. Is I have a different kind of gifts and different kinds of times or talent or treasure or abilities that I can share with you. That's kind of what we do a little bit with our flow of blessing. Like I've, I've got, uh, you know, Ruben and Rebecca have a king-size bed they want to get rid of and they have a queen-size bed you'd like to share with them. That, that works good. Um, so... But I, I want us to pay attention to this thing of the example. Um, I'm going to skip down to uh, chapter 9, verse 1. Okay, I want to go back to... Well, let, let's just read the rest, of, the rest of 8. I'll mention it, and then we'll get, we'll get to the chapter 9. So, pay attention to this now. I thank God who put into the heart of Titus the same concern I have for you. For Titus not only welcomed our appeal, but he's coming to you with much enthusiasm and on his own initiative, and we are sending him along with the brothers, who is, the brother who is praised by all the churches for his service to the gospel. What is more, he was chosen by the churches to accompany us as we carry the offering which we administer in order to honor the Lord himself and to show our eagerness to help. We want to avoid any criticism of the way we administer this liberal gift, for we are taking pains to do what is right, not only in the eyes of the Lord, but also in the eyes of men. So I want you to pay attention to that. In this church, we are trying to do everything as it's right in the eyes of the Lord. We want the Lord to be able to examine how we spend our money and how it works and to be able to say, yes, good job. And... That's what the ministry coordinators are trying to figure out. What's the best way we could 
use the finances that God has provided, that his people have given for this purpose. And they work hard at it. But we also want to make sure that it's proper in the eyes of people. So that whether you or someone out there looks at what happens, you say, was that money given for what it, was it used the way it was designated? Was, is everything taken care of? Was everything, are the books straight? You know, <laughs> um, Liz and Cherry and Craig especially work hard on, on keeping those books straight. We want to make sure that not only in the eyes of the Lord, but in all of your eyes, and in the eyes of anybody else who might come in, it's honorable. It's right. Because it's right. <laughs> it's just. It's justice that it should be not only right in God's eyes. Now, keep in mind, those are two different things, okay? Some people do one and not the other. Some people do what's right with God, but they don't want to show you anything. That's not enough. They should be ready to, sh to show you. I mean, it doesn't mean that you have to nitpick in everybody's finances, you know. Where, um, but th th it should be honorable, okay? So they're going to put out all the budget. They're not going to give you all the details necessarily at the annual meeting, but you'll, you'll get any details you need, all right? Um, and if you ask them, you can get more details. But um, we, we also try to protect the privacy of, of some people and some things that happen with different ways, right? I've been in churches where this church doesn't happen to be that. I was kind of surprised when it wasn't like, well, I don't know if the pastor should get that much for his housing allowance. You know, how we, does he get a cell phone? He doesn't need a cell phone. Um, so th those kinds of things, we don't do as much here. And, and I'd be happy with it, but it's, you know, kind of protect different people. But the ministry coordinators look at all that stuff. And we look at the missionaries and have a really hard time as a missions committee figuring out who do we support more or less. And these are all good ministries. And how do we... And all of these things are so good that we really work hard to get it as right as we can and do what God really wants us to do. Not only in God's eyes, but in the world's eyes. Now, there are other people who are happy to have it look good and that's fully audited and all that stuff. But in the Lord's eyes, it's like, well, yeah, that's a, that, that it meets the rules of auditing but it's not really honorable in the Lord's sight. You get what I'm saying? Your personal finances, our church finances, any place else that you give to should do both of those things. It should be honorable in God's sight. Everything you do, God should say, yes, that's great. And it should be honorable in other people's sight. If they knew, they should be say, that's, that's sure. All right? In addition, we're sending with them our brother who has often approved to us in many ways that he is zealous and now even more so because of his great confidence in you. As for Titus, he's my partner and fellow worker among you. As for our brothers, they're representatives of the church and an honor to Christ. Therefore, show these men the proof of your love and the reason for our pride in you so that the churches can see it. So, I want you to notice that Paul is a good person, but he doesn't carry this money himself. I am a decent person, but I don't have any signing authority at this church. I don't have a credit card. I don't, I don't sign any checks. I don't do anything. Um, neither does Pastor Andrew. We let somebody else sign the checks. Everything goes through multiple people so that it's not just one person that could be held accountable, but it's multiple people that are held accountable. So even for Paul, 
he was like, okay, I'm sending Titus, and he's going with somebody else who the churches made sure are reasonable, and I'll go with them as well to make sure that this that was given to the people in Jerusalem gets to the people in Jerusalem for that, what it was taken for. You, you follow me? So auditing good finances, good books was biblical, even way back then. Um, let's read on in chapter 9. There is no need for me to write to you about this service to the saints, for I know your eagerness to help. I've been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them since last year, you and Achaia were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I'm sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow. But you may be ready as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one grudgingly given. So he's telling them, get ready. I wrote to you before, I'm sending some people ahead. Get it ready, save it up, have it ready, so that when you come, it's a generous gift. And it's not like, oh, they're here again. Oh, how can I, oh, man. Um, not grudgingly given. Um, but you notice, maybe you guys, some of you are from maybe more of an honor-shame culture. He's, he's heaping on the honor versus shame thing here. I'd hate to have you ashamed in front of everybody's, I get a smile from the Korean over there, um, He's heaping on the shame. We wouldn't want anybody to be embarrassed about how you weren't really ready to give when these people show up. Now, is that acceptable? Is that just a pressure tactic that, that Paul's putting on, this, this laying out of shame and comparing with other people? Is that acceptable? Here, so here's what we talked a little bit about before is we sometimes keep our finances very secret, right? Don't want anybody to know. And when we compare, it's in our hearts with either envy or judgment. Oh, well, they shouldn't be driving that nice a car. Uh, we, actually just, we actually just heard from some missionary friends of ours. Missionaries can be this way too. So they, they moved back to a missionary um, retirement area, and somebody gave them all the money and insisted they buy a new SUV. And uh, all their other fellow missionaries are like, that's not okay. We drive 10-year-old cars. <laughs> you, that's, that's not, you're an AIM missionary. How can you do that? So missionaries can be judgmental. It can be the opposite. I know some other retirement communities where they're like, you got a 10-year-old car? That's, you're not allowed in this gate. Um, <laughs> so we can be judgmental or envying or whatever, but, but is there a place for examples and comparison? I want to say I think there is. I think there's actually opportunity for us to find good examples. Like the Macedonians were good examples. Are you following this? Jerusalem church was a good example. They were a good example to Antioch, who learned how to give back to Jerusalem. They were a good example to Thessalonica and to the Macedonians. The Macedonians were a good example to the Corinthians. And Paul is comparing all these people and saying, you know what, hey, those guys, they really know how to give. You should catch it out, figure that out. And what, but why is Paul doing it? He's doing it for the sake of this church. He wants to challenge them. Hey, there's joy out there. Did you see? Those guys have so much joy, and they're like really poor, but they're so joyful. You could have some of that. 
So we need examples and mentors, and that example thing ripples around. So last week I asked you guys if uh, anybody would be willing to give some examples. I got some examples of uh, people, fantastic ways that God had provided for people. I specifically asked a couple of people if they would share. Katura, would you share? Um, she, she offered. I didn't actually ask people, but she, she wanted to give an example of how to give an example. Is it? Okay, there we go. Um, When I was listening to Pastor Steve's first Just Money sermon, I found myself nodding at many of the truths that he shared that I've personally experienced in my life. For example, I've traveled to many countries and we lived in Peru, and I've seen firsthand that most people in the U.S. are rich by worldly standards. I've also experienced years of not feeling rich uh, while living here. And my family of origin didn't have a lot of money, But my parents stewarded what they had really well, and they gave us kids good examples uh, by words and um, example of how to handle money. And since it's hard to know what to do if you don't have an example, and since money is something that a lot of people struggle to manage and even talk about um, easily, I asked if I could share some of the things that my parents did that I've put into practice that have helped me in my life in the hopes that it might put some practical examples to some of the teaching. I think it's hard to know what to do if you didn't have a good example, so I was hoping that maybe some of what I've had uh, could help somebody else. One of my earliest money memories is separating funds into three baby food jars. So they each had their own label. One was Jesus money, one was saving, and one was spending. Um, And the Jesus money got filled first and got 10 cents of every dollar I had. The remaining funds were split equally between savings and spending, so that's 45% each to savings and spending. And through this simple model, my parents trained me in the spiritual discipline of tithing, and that's a practice that I've done literally my whole life. It's easier to continue and even increase giving when the habit's ingrained from youth. I've talked to other people who hear about tithing, that's the giving that 10%, um, later on in their life, and it can be really hard to go from zero to 10% if you never had that example. For me, it was easier because it's literally just a habit. Um, and, and while my saving and spending were exactly the same amount, I noticed as a child that my savings fund kept increasing, but the amount of my spending seemed perpetually low. Um, until I became an earnest saver around the age of eight. I desperately wanted a Cabbage Patch doll. They cost $20 back then, and that was money far and away beyond anything that I had and beyond what was my parents' normal amount of giving money. And so um, I saved and saved and saved and got to $10, which was more money than I'd ever had in my saving or my spending fund at one time. And I told my mom that I didn't really care about the Cabbage Patch doll anymore. I was desperate to buy something. I don't even remember what it was, but I was going to spend my $10 on something. And she said, you know... She said, you can spend your $20 on whatever you want when you get it, but you're going to save $20 until you get $20. And I was really kind of mad at her, but I saved and saved and saved. And by the time that I got $20, I went and I bought that Cabbage Patch doll because that is what I actually wanted. I still have it. Mirabelle plays with it now. Um, I actually won a Cabbage Patch doll in a drawing from my dentist's office. And when we went to Peru, I gave that one away, but I kept the one that I bought because it was a reminder of that saving, and it actually meant more to me than the one that I won. Um, From my parents, I also learned that you should live beneath your means, 
Um, I've earned a lot in my life, and I've earned a little in my life. But because of my savings habit and because of living below my means, I've always had enough to pay for my needs and my wants. And I actively work to keep my wants in check, and I'm frugal in addressing my needs. And rather than use raises only to increase our standard of living, I've had this model from my parents of increasing saving and giving when we get new funding sources. Uh, one of the things that we use now, it's kind of an upgrade from the baby food jars that I had as a child, is Money Smart Pigs. They're piggy banks that have three or four slots for uh, money, and I actually have some extra ones that we're looking to give away. If you are interested in any of those, I'd be happy to pass them on to your family if you think it might uh, help you. Another life lesson that my parents did a few times was to bring home my father's uh, whole paycheck in cash. I have no idea how much my dad actually earned. I just remember seeing as a kid these like huge money piles, $100 bills, which was not a normal thing to see in my family, um, and change and smaller bills, and it was just this heap of money, and it was amazing um, to a kid. And then they took that money pile and they separated it out, and they took the Jesus money first and put it aside and talked about why did they tithe, what had God given them, where did they give that money to at a general level. Um, and then they took taxes out, and I remember literally gasping and being like, that much? And they said to us, yeah, they said, do you like going to parks? Do you like going to libraries? Do you like being able to drive on roads? Do you like these things? We render to Caesar what's Caesar's. We give, we give what's necessary, and that benefits everybody. Um, then there was the normal stuff like uh, saving for paying for life's expected emergencies like health care and car breakdowns normal bills of life like housing and food and gas. And the first time that we went through this, at the very end of separating it all out, we literally had one $20 bill left. And it was a really important object lesson to me to understand why when we went to a store, we couldn't just get everything that we wanted or asked for. Um, and it was also something where I remember that tithing um, aspect, like they had us tithe their little baby food jars, but they also talked about God's faithfulness, and then even when we didn't have much, we always had enough. They talked about times in their early marriage where they had three days of paycheck left and no food, and they prayed, and somebody just happened to invite them over for dinner and send them home with the leftovers. They shared stories about my aunt and uncle who had similar tales and testimonies of God's faithfulness to them. Um, so they didn't take away from the tithe, but they saw God provide for them. And that really made a difference to me in how I thought about God's provision. They talked about the time that somebody anonymously gave the pastor cash in an envelope to give to us. Um, it's not a give-to-get mentality, but it's a testimony to the truth of God's challenge in Malachi 3.10. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Other life lessons included the importance of listening to God and finding out what he wanted done with his money, because the money and possessions we have really belong to him anyway. I remember more than one time that we heard of a need via church, radio, or conversations with others and talked as a family about that need. We didn't always have money to give, but we made ways when we found that God was calling us to help. And sometimes that looked like eating oatmeal for dinner and repurposing the grocery money um, to give towards the need. It wasn't so much that we had tons of money to give, kind of like what you were talking about with the Macedonians, but we gave out of even what we didn't have 
And um, one of the things that I really appreciated is being part of the solution, whether that was eating oatmeal instead of a full regular meal that we'd have, or giving my own Jesus money that I had control over as a child to listen to what God was telling me to do with my baby food jar of Jesus uh, money. It made me feel like I was an important part of God's story even as a child. Um, Dave and I now have a focused giving plan that we review annually, and we take a percentage of our gross income, split it between church and other um, organizations and missionaries, and I literally still call it Jesus money um, in my head and out loud. Um, I think that that's a helpful way to steward the funds that we have coming in now and we give throughout the year. And as a busy adult, I take advantage of technology things that we have available. I actually have an auto check sent out monthly from my bank account because I know what my salary is and I know what percentage is going out. And I don't even worry about it. It just shows up. I don't have to worry about remembering my checkbook. It just happens. They even pay postage. Um, I keep my ears and eyes open to hear about God prompting me to stay alert to good works that he's prepared in advance to do. So one of the things that we do is we budget funds um, kind of in a wait and see uh, and wait until God tells us what to do. My mom did this and dad too. Um, my mom talked about it a little more. She's a little more talkative than my dad. Um, and they called it the Holy Spirit Fund to listen to what the Holy Spirit told them to give to. Um, one of my college friends was impacted during the federal government shutdown earlier this year, and as a single mom, the loss of her paycheck was a really significant impact to her. And even though she expected to get back pay when the government went back into session, it didn't help for, with her bills in the here and now. And if you guys remember, that government shutdown lasted quite a long time, and so she missed a lot of paychecks. Um, and a couple weeks into the shutdown, I felt a strong prompting that we were supposed to help and I got a specific dollar number in mind. And I talked to Dave about it, and we agreed that, yes, we'd move forward with that. As I was getting that ready, my mom contacted me, and she said, hey, can I have your friend's address? God's put her on my heart. And I, I was wondering why my Holy Spirit fund was getting so big, but now I know where it's supposed to go. And we put our money together and sent it to my friend. And when she know, just like God, the money, the combined gift together was just a little bit more than what she needed to cover her critical needs. And so not only was it something where we got to listen to God and do what he said, but it was a tangible reminder to my friend who doesn't have an earthly father that gives that way of her heavenly father and how he cares for her and stepped in to help. Um, every one of us here has different gifts and different personalities. And one way of managing money might not be what works for another person, but every single one of us can steward funds wisely. Um, if you ever want to talk about money management, I'm one of those people who actually thinks budgeting is fun. Um, and I'd be happy to talk to you about ideas and ways that I know that work with different money personalities. There's actually different kinds of money personalities. And so something you hear from like Dave Ramsey might not be what works for you, but a different way might be. I really believe every one of us can steward what we have in a wise way. Uh, Jesus said that it's not possible to serve both God and money, but it sure is fun to serve God by partnering and distributing his money in the way that he guides. And Bryn is going to share something with us. Um, I wanted to just give you some examples here. Uh, we, we've mentioned this because it came up in prayer, um, but we really are swimming upstream as Christians. 
Um, the flow of the world is against us, has a totally different understanding of values, has switched all the price tags, and tells you that things are investments that aren't investments, and that uh, the more you buy, the more you save, and all kinds of other thing, interesting things. Um, the other example of uh, going as sailboats, really upstream, um, and there's everybody else is floating along in the inner tubes and their dinghies, and they're having a good time. They don't know why you're going the other way. It's always helpful to know that there's another sailboat that's going this way too. Um, powered by the Holy Spirit, the wind is pushing us against the stream. And I, I want Brenda to share a, a different kind of story. Um, and I think it's just helpful to hear from people who aren't pastors too, that uh, how this works. Yeah, well, money, I was thinking maybe we could go back a few weeks and talk about sex. That might be easier, but... <laughs> Go ahead. You can. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll stick with money for okay, today. Stay, come, I don't come ruin up here. your sermon. All right. Um, all it's right. true. Money is just as hard to talk about sometimes. Yep. And I think it's true that, you know, um, just like uh, sex, uh, oftentimes money is a very private thing. And so it can be hard to share uh, with others about it. But um, so I've. Uh, owned my own business for about 12 years, and uh, in business and life, there can be ups and downs, and uh, at one point, we were in a down, and uh, so we kind of, you know, we know what downs are like. We can get through that, but it was it was kind of down, 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 so it was, uh, you know, we were, um, at that point, it was the first time ever in my life that we were going to pay our mortgage after the 15th of the month, so it really hurt. It didn't feel good to be in that place, uh, but we knew that we knew that we were God and where God wanted us to be, and we were doing what He wanted us to do. And so uh, we stuck it out, and we felt like uh, when it got kind of towards the end of the month, and we didn't have enough for it, we said, "Okay, well, uh, God directed us to pull some money out of uh, retirement, and we'd have 60 days to put it back in." So uh, that time period came and God provided and so kind of right at the last 60th day where we could put it back in without a penalty uh, mailed it and got it in on time however at that point it was just right after Christmas and we were because we had put this money back into retirement we were kind of now we didn't really have anything uh, left at that point and so this is probably two days after Christmas and uh, we felt like well uh, it was kind of one of the first times that we tried this, but we had heard people say, well, you know, if you just, um, you know, uh, trust God with what you have and, you know, give it all to him that you can trust him and he's trustworthy to provide for you. And so at that point, I think we probably had, you know, less than a couple hundred dollars left in our bank account. And we just felt the Lord, I think it was a Sunday night, we felt the Lord tell us to just give it all away. So we gave what we had left, and uh, Melinda and I prayed about it, and we gave it to the Union Gospel Mission, and uh, to the cent, down to zero in our bank account, so that it was all, it was all gone. And uh, the next day, so reminder, this is sort of the week between Christmas and New Year's, which uh, is pretty much the slowest business time in the, during the year, right? Nobody, most people, a lot of people aren't even working, and uh, if it, is hard to uh, get communication with anyone. But that was a Monday, and uh, a client reached out to me and said, hey, you know, that project we were talking about, we wanted to start it, and we actually want to, uh, instead of just 
paying half down for it. We actually want to give you the whole amount right now, and, um, and so you guys can get started on it. So at, at that point, the, the, what we received was probably uh, almost a hundredfold increase of what we had given, and it was just an awesome reminder that you know, God really kind of showing off for us that, yes, we can trust him, and he's trustworthy, and that was kind of the first instances of other instances like that, and I wouldn't say that every time God didn't, we didn't see God act, you know, within 24 hours, but every time he has been faithful, and, and when we give, and, uh, you know, in some ways it was easier to give, you know, a couple hundred dollars out of what was left in our bank account, and I was thinking, well, gee, at other times, would I give, would I give what was left in my bank account? You know, if it was $10,000, if it was $100,000, a million dollars, what would I be willing to give if it was left in my bank account? And so I think that was, even just coming up here and retelling that story was the challenge for me, and I think for all of us, is that, you know, what are, are we willing to give everything that's left, you know, but if it's only $5, is that easier than when, when we have more? So uh, challenge to myself and everyone that God does want it, and I think that, uh, you know, what Pastor Steve said is right last week is that, it's not that God needs our money, but he, he wants us, and he knows that he won't have us if he doesn't have our money as well. So, Thanks. So Bryn was telling me that he, he has started a collection of, what did he say, 24 stories like that, and uh, outlines on them, and, uh, and uh, several of them written out. So he picked out of the ones he had written out, and I, I think that's a great idea. I think we need that example for ourselves, for our kids, um, so that when they say, is God faithful, they say, well, I remember this story, this story, this story from my parents, from my friends, from, from uh, this time I did that. And when they have examples like that, and then they have their own examples. Now, of course, the question is, are you going to be that kind of example? Or are you going to be the kind of example of whatever else? You have to save everything because you never know what's going to happen. Well, that's not bad. Saving is good. But in other words, what, what are we teaching our kids? What are we teaching each other? And can we be radically different so that when we look at each other, we say, hey, we are going upstream. And we might, other people might look at us and say, what's wrong with them? How come they can't get it together and buy a decent house and buy a decent car? But we know where we're going and why we're going and what we're after. So uh, we need that example because uh, the bear represents Satan as well as the flow against us. The world, the flesh, and the devil are all against us in this. But there's so much that we're going for and the Holy Spirit's with us. So um, I wanted to give another, one other quick example. Benesta and Magdalena Misana, who were friends of mine, I think I just told you they, that Benesta recently died. And... Um, uh, just a joyful person. We were with them um, not quite two years ago, along with this other team. He worked with John Wons Lima since the early 70s, 45 years together working, and they always built the church first, and if they got around to it, they built a thatch shot. So, Vanessa, we helped them find some, some tin roofs and went, funds, and uh, then when I came to visit him in his three-room house with his nine kids, or eight kids, and uh, there was tin roofing underneath of his bed that belonged to the church, and he wasn't going to use that because that had to go on some other church. Um, so he always did that later. And um, so when we were there with uh, bringing your funds for the, uh, that the children collected and you guys helped out, um, this is who was staying at Benesta's house. 
Some of them are kids, some of them are grandkids, some of them are people who got kicked out of their family because they got saved, some of them are, are orphans. And uh, all these people were there, plus, of course, they gave us a whole meal. So we, we packed into the, the little bit of a living room and ate, and Sarah's smiling because she remembers that. Um, and after that, we went over and saw what the church was giving, literally giving out corn to the widows and, uh, and the fatherless children in the community and a lot of bright smiles. And so also some questions, well, could I have beans with my corn? And uh, Pastor Magdalena has said, well, sorry, this is all that was collected. This is all we got. Um, but um, there was a lot of, uh, of joy there. And this is one of the families. I didn't get the, the whole family on the slide, sorry. But um, they, they had a lot of joy. And, you know, when Vanessa's funeral came up here, in town there were thousands of people. And in the village there were thousands of people. And um, one of the things that was on the TV broadcast that I was sent on WhatsApp um, from the TV coverage of this was how much he cared for widows and orphans. And a lot of that was what he did. And some of it was what you participated in and what we as a family participated in. And this example ripples in different ways. And see, we need each other in different ways. When I went there to try to figure out how to run a Bible school, he showed up and typed on the manual typewriter and did stencils for 50 cents a page because somebody needed to type notes. And yes, he's a teacher, he's a pastor, but he, uh, he was there doing that because that needed to be done. He was part of the administration. And when it came to people sharing their giving records that they did at the annual general meeting, his was always like a real tithe and more. Other people's, they were pastors, they were supposed to be tithing him as like a dollar or two for the year. Um, but he was really giving. And I asked one of his people, I said, does he ever preach about giving much? He said, not really. He said, does, does he give? Well, yeah, everybody knows he gives. So does the church give? Oh, yeah, we all give. He made that Bible school in Musoma happen because of his giving. When, and for us, so that there's equality. We needed things like we got to get a visa. So we, how are we going to do this? So he did all the paperwork, figured it out, even when the person who was supposed to do it didn't do it. He got on the bus, came four hours so we could get a signature, went back four hours so he could follow up with the government officials. He did things we couldn't do. And we... And you helped to pay for his, uh, his, uh, his, you know, okay, $150 a month moved up to $300 a month for running the Bible school and teaching at it. That's, it's uh, sustainable, um, but it, it's always a tough decision. And here's the thing. Sometimes we, so I was asking you, how come when we pray for our daily bread, we say, well, but how come some people don't have their daily bread? Has God shortchanged us? So one time I sat around with these guys and I said, you know, what is it? I mean, is, is, what's, how come you guys are so faithful and yet you have so much less than I do? And I don't understand. I was having this big theological discussion. They told me years later, we thought you were going to raise our pay. But you just had a theological discussion. I was like, oh. Sorry. Um, they didn't dare tell me that at the time. I did raise their pay. They used to just get paid like each time they taught or whatever. We try again, trying to keep it sustainable, but also trying to make it. Um, so the but the thing is, those kinds of things ripple. So we found out that Raphael, who was here before, was giving and and helping train or orphan kids how to do carpentry. And so he needed money for a lathe. So we helped him with that. So we learned that these guys were doing this. We learned that we could channel money through them because they were doing it out of their own pockets and giving as much as they could. And, and, and so we um, were able to help them with that. And then because we were able to help them with that, our, our kids were helping with, with that. And then, you know, there was a, a person down in Burnsville 
who uh, had never met us, but had purposely bought a house with a basement so he could have missionaries live in it. So we showed up with our four kids and a beautiful basement. Um, and uh, he bought it with cash. He, he had a good business. But sure, six months, four kids in our basement, no problem. You're friends of the Rasmussen's, the Todd and Tamara Rasmussen. So he put us there, and then we, we uh, met him and his, his uh, kids he'd adopted and found out about this Orphan's Joy ministry that they had. But actually, how it came up was he, or maybe we were talking about that somehow, he found out that Hannah was, as a college student at McAllister, giving beyond her tithe for orphans and widows in Tanzania. He was like, a college student is giving more than a tithe to take care of orphans. Tell me more. So we told them about all this stuff, and they, and they Orphan's Joy gave a contribution, and then they didn't do much, and then they came with us um, to, to the house, and, and this is his kids and his wife. This is Dave, and uh, they, um, they got greeted with these beautiful um, wraps of, of, of material and welcomed, and uh, we, we saw different places and, and hundreds of, of kids that were being blessed, uh, you know, a few dozen here and a couple, and, and then on our way back, we were, we were stopped on the side of the road with some people saying, thank you for the goats that you bought four years ago, um, and I said, so Dave, this has happened very often, what? Actually, at the time, I didn't know this, but at the time, he was selling his business of about 70 empl- uh, employees or so. He, and they kept pushing him to sell this business, so he sold the business. He gave huge bonuses and benefits to all of the employees who'd been there. He took care of his family, and he put the rest into Orphan's Joy. And he's continued to travel around the world and actually hired Todd and Tamara Rasmussen as his missionaries to help do this. And they're, they're having great time. And his thought when he was there was, he was teary-eyed. He said, maybe God gave me this business for this reason. He was just so excited, and he's still so excited, having so much fun. But I want you to see that you can have nothing. You can be in a thatched hut with nine kids and give bountifully. You can have a business that you've developed from scratch that God's blessed and give bountifully. And you can have so much fun doing it. And watching God do stuff. And you, you've been in p- part of this thing. And I hope, and this is just a glimpse, okay? Now, when you give your, your, uh, your missions love offering, it's not going to go to me. It's going to go to Vanessa's widow and the other three guys that work there and all of our other missionaries. It's going to be divided between them. And, uh, but every, every week that you give, you know, 10% of it goes to missionaries and other things that are happening. I just want you to, want you to know how cool it is that you get to be part of this. Let's, let's um, finish reading 2 Corinthians 9. It's fun, folks. It's about joy. It's about harvest. Let's read on. 9.6. Um, and I actually have this up here. If you don't have it in front of you, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he's decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, some people twist this around and say, you know, I can't give cheerfully, so I just won't give. That works if you never want to be cheerful. You know, Jesus says, it's quoted as, Jesus said, it's better to give than to receive. And actually, it's more blessed to give. And if you really translate that, well, it's more happy-making to give 
than it is to receive. Have you ever noticed that? That it's more fun to watch your kids open the gifts that you got for them than it is to get your Christmas gifts yourself? I mean, it takes some maturity to get there. But uh, when we're kids, it's not that way. But it's more fun to give. It's more happy-making to give. And uh, I think Fred Craddock is the one who said, and it's also a lot easier. You notice that? It's easier to control and to give than it is to make sure you receive. You guys following me? It's easier to make sure that you're, where your paycheck goes than it is to make sure your paycheck gets bigger. And then God takes care of how big your paycheck is. He really does, folks. He really blesses you. And a um, couple, couple of books on this. Um, Randy Alcorn, Money, Possessions, and Eternity, or Just Get the Treasure Principle, if you want to read the really quick version. The Blessed Life, one of the things he says in The Blessed Life is he says, I've, I've met two kinds of people. People who can't afford to tithe and people who are so blessed and get to tithe. He said, so the people who can't tithe, um, they don't have any any money. And the people who are tithing are always so grateful and blessed and excited. And he says, that's, see, it works that way. That when you are giving, you realize, I'm great, I'm, I'm blessed. And then you get more and you get to bless more. And if you never give, you never get more. Now, he can be close to uh, prosperity gospel, but the truth is God takes care of you. But he doesn't take care of you if you're not in his kingdom. And the tithe is just like giving it to him. Now, honestly, we, our normal thing is we give the tithe to the local church because we trust you guys. We know what you do. We've always done that. Um, and I had an example from my father when he was uh, living on two rooms and a path and uh, got his first potatoes and he walked seven miles and got uh, 35 cents for him. He gave three or four cents? Four cents. Yes, he gave four cents. And um, that was just typical, normal. And then it was a lot more percentage. Um, so this one, somebody gave me, Abby, who's not here today, gave me this one last week. And uh, I'm a sucker for this. And so I read the whole book, uh, even though I probably should have been doing other things. But it's really good. Um, even Kirk Cousins uh, is the forward. And he, 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 he got there. He tar on target. Um, so um, I want... Let me uh, let's finish this. Remember, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Do you believe that? If you, reap, if you sow generously, you get more to sow more. So he goes on and says that. Um, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to bless you abundantly. You believe he's able to bless you abundantly? Or are you not sure? Most of us mostly believe it. Um, God is able to bless you abundantly so that, why? So that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. You, you following me? The purpose is so we can abound in every good work. That's the exciting thing. Of course, we also get all that we need and at all times. But the purpose is so we can abound in every good work. They have scattered, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Their justice endures forever. Living justice is about scattering gifts to the poor. And he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. 
will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness and your justice. He wants to enlarge your harvest and provide all your food. But if you eat all of the seed, the harvest doesn't increase. Right? It's only, and African farmers know this in Tanzania, you, you know the scripture that says they go out weeping with seed to sow and they come back harvesting? Most of us don't understand that, but a lot of Tanzanian farmers are planting what they would like to eat. And they're going to go hungry before harvest time comes. But they do it because they want to harvest, right? God's given us seed. You will be enriched in every way. Why? So that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. That's that word. Eucharisteo. Charis goes back to God. Grace goes back to God in the form of thanksgiving. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, it's also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God, of Eucharisteo, to God. Because of the service by which you've proved yourselves, others will praise God. So the thanks is going back to God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So God gives all this gift, his, even Jesus Christ, right? And we get to give. And that giving results in thanksgiving to God. And those people pray for us. I tell you what, those, those guys I mentioned, the, the deans, they pray for you. They think about you. Raphael thinks about you, prays for you, because they receive your gifts. They, they know you from what you give. And so do many others. Um, so here's the, this word charis, in, that's in the English spelling. It comes from God. God gives his great gifts, Jesus Christ himself and everything else we have to you. And then you can give to somebody else who's needy, a brother or sister someplace else or in our body. And then they can give back to God, charis, eucharisteo. And that's this beautiful cycle of grace that we get to be part of. Not law, but grace. This is far beyond the, the, just the normal time. This is the extra gifts. That Do you want to be part of a flow of grace that overflows to other people and then flows back and flows on to God? This is a great way to give thanks to God. Say, thank you, God. Let me pass some thanksgiving through some needy people to you because they're going to thank you too and I'm going to double my thanksgivings. So I, it's just so fun to be part of a cycle of grace. Um, okay, quick outline of this book. True riches, pride to gratitude so that we see everything as a gift. Coveting to contentment so that we spend wisely. Anxiety to trust so that we save appropriately and indifference to love so that we give extravagantly. Anybody wants to do a book study on this, let me know. We'll maybe set it up. Um, this is a couple of Harvard MBA guys who uh, in their Harvard MBA decided to look at the Bible too, and then that kind of shook them up. And uh, they've changed their lives. Um, so a few action steps from this book. Give. Plan it. Record it. In fact, 
you got to you may be keeping track of your net worth and you know how much your debts are keep track of your cumulative giving cuz that's your net worth in heaven okay and you can have fun with that record the the, the fun things that happen too create a cushion um, you know most people or at least half of Americans they had a $400 expense they couldn't pay for it you got to start with creating a bit of cushion so that you have now notice though that I put give first cuz you're never going to get a you're never going to have a cushion if you don't acknowledge that God is the author and the king and give him a tithe at a, at a minimum that's that's just uh, just saying he's king just saying it all came from him then he's ready to bless you and you can create a cushion $2000 have $2000 in your savings and checking so that when the car breaks down when the refrigerator when the hot water heater goes you have something and it doesn't throw you off the then ditch the bad debt. Now bad debt according to them is all but an affordable mortgage. Your student loans, your your car loans, why? Because all the other debts, if you don't pay them, you still got to pay them. If you don't pay your house, you lose your house. But you're not enslaved to it. Um, because you can get out of your house. So get rid of the debt. After you create a cushion, then prepare ahead saving and giving for the long term. So that's where you start saving, you start giving long term, not just your basic tithe, but how can I really invest in eternity? And then they say this, basically those things are to get margin. So you have to get if you don't have very much money, you got to get margin first, which means spend less than you make and do it for a long time. Leave some gleaning area around the edges. Put some margin. And then if you've got more money, if you've got some money that's available, then the question is, what's enough? What's enough house? What's enough car? What's enough education? So especially the big things. And you know, the truth is they make it so easy for us to spend money now. Just type in a few numbers and you can have it going out of your account every month. Um, what's enough? Figure out maybe a, a total. You know, is 50000 enough? Is 100000 enough? Will you ever need to spend more than 100000 Then the rest of it you can do all that other fun stuff with. Um, and then thanks. Be an example. Remember all the examples. Write them down. And share the examples of grace. Share the examples of how God's blessed you. Be an example of how God is blessing you. Be an example to other people of, wow, God blessed me through that person. We can be those examples. Would the, would the worship team come up? Would the ushers come? And um, you, got, you got three sermons today, so it took a little longer. Uh, sorry about that. Um, if you need to go, you can go, and you don't, you don't have to be uh, embarrassed. And this is... This is uh, your opportunity to respond to uh, the word of the Lord today because God is a good God. And he has allowed me and you and us to be part of the great things he's doing in the world, taking care of the poor and reaching the lost and discipling Christians um, through this church and through many other ministries. So we are um, excited. I'm excited to have an opportunity to do that. My wife's got the checkbook, uh, so she'll take care of that. But, um, but I do like Keturah's example. I should figure out how to do an automatic um, deduction. Would you pray for us, Craig, since you're part of taking care of all this? And Lord, you said that where our money goes, our heart will go too. We want our emotions to be lined up with your purposes.
And so, Lord, we, we want our practical things as well as our feelings to and our relationships to be lined up with your word. We want to be sharing food with each other. We want to be sharing gifts with each other and with your people around the world and with those who don't know you yet and with the poor, Lord. So we thank you for this opportunity. In your name, amen. I'm also going to give the benediction so you can go when you're, when you're ready. And uh, you, can give, you can go before you give if you want to. But uh, if you want to give that opportunity, you, you, don't, you can hang around. So, Lord, I pray that you would bless your people. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, bless them and give them the greater blessings of being great givers. Amen.